Welcome back. I am honored to be podcasting in the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nations within the Williams Treaty. And today is the 29th of September and uh, not really sure. There's a bunch of moving pieces going on in my life that I am kind of just holding space for. So depending on how projects land and how things go, I have to um, prioritize. So there you go. Uh, I do hope to continue on here, but um, uh, it may not be weekly. So I'm just going to let Grace guide me as I do. And uh, I hope you are here with me. And I'd love to hear how what I'm saying um, is landing. So send me a message on anchor.fm forward slash Barb's World forward slash messages. Or just come to the Barb's World um main page there and uh, you'll see leave me a message okay let's get into this as I was doing the last season of this podcast, I have been keeping a checklist basically of topics for solo episodes. And I'm sitting in front of that list right now. There's 11 items on it. And I think this episode is just going to be that. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to wrap up uh, things that I've talked about through the podcast that I wanted to further discuss. Um, so that's my plan. And as I said, the date, um, tomorrow is Truth and Reconciliation Day here in Canada. So I'm gonna be talking about, uh, that. So I think that might be where I'm going to start. I'm, like I said, I'm I'm going with grace here. I'm just letting my instinct guide me. I'm looking down this list. I'm going to read the list here, and then, uh, and then I'll I'll see where I feel like uh, beginning. Number one, uh, first relationships and losing my voice, silence. The decision to follow my hanger dream. Number two, Dr. Poon and my 70 pounds. Number three, the Virtues Project and Perseverance. Number four, Neil's cancer journey. So Neil is my husband and he had a cancer journey. Number five, being authentic, led by our soul. That's huge. Number six, skipping stones. And then in brackets, I put visual aid. And then after that, 
is neurochemical vision. To be honest, I don't even really understand what that means, but I love it. Neurochemical vision. I, I understand why I wrote it. It's I'm trying to make sense of the chemistry uh, between our experience and um, <clears throat> the trajectory of our life, the way our vibration uh, is created. Yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, number seven is family dynamics, dancing, and deadbeat dads. That's going to be a good episode. Number eight, Standing Rock. And then beside that, I have 2016. And then beside that, in red, circled, I have 9-11. So it doesn't have a number. Um... But it's there. So maybe that's the 12th uh, item on my list here. In fact, it would be number 9. In which case, number 10 would be media fasting. And then a, a standing rock. Um, number 10 is Canada. Making things right. Hmm. And I reference back to episode four, I think, in 10, but it might be for 11. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Uh, I've made this list over, over the last, uh, you know, bunch of months. Uh, number 11 is outrage. And the, beside that in red says accountability. All right. So there you have it, that you'll find that in the description. I'm going to list the uh, topics here and then I'm getting into it right now. So here we go. I became almost empty. It's so hard to describe. I lost my voice. To the point where I truly felt like I had nothing to say, nothing of value, nothing of importance. And I was empty, void of uh, any sense of myself. So it was painful. But until I realized, actually, like, until I recognized it, I wasn't really aware of what was happening. I was kind of numb to what was going on and blind to it. And so then after eight years, I think, you know, my husband, my first husband and I were married for 11 years together for 13. And I, uh, around the eighth year, um, this happened. So it was 
basically 11 years. So eighth year of marriage. Sorry, let me be clear. We lived together a couple years first. Then we got married. So I, it was this slow progression of me, uh, first of all, coming in with my own stuff around abandonment, betrayal, and, um, and being denied excuse me, denied my own voice through my childhood uh, for lots of different reasons and by lots of different people. The conditioning is there. It's It was in with my family. It was within our community. It was within the culture of, you know, small rural Ontario town that I lived in at the time. And, and so... We all are conditioned by what's going on around us and the environments that we live in. So, you know, I just became who I became. And with that comes codependency, which if you don't know what codependency is, it's this um, uh, attitude where we feel like we have to please other people. There's all kinds of uh, ways that it manifests in our life, but it it happens because we are not connected properly in the first place. So there's this deprivation that leaves us wanting and thriving and striving for this uh quality of connection we're born wired to connect our brains and bodies are wired to connect and so uh when when there's a deprivation of connection then we uh the condition is such that uh our light just doesn't shine as bright i don't know how else to say it uh it's you know this is not discussed in circles that I really know. So on some level, this is all uh, not, it's it's a phenomenon or life uh, um, experience slash energy consciousness that hasn't really ever been um, coined or couched or um, established. Uh, known about, talked about, especially in the circles that I uh, am in. But this is kind of my life's work. So I've been on this journey all my life, uh, trying to make sense of my life experience and how that uh, can be explained through the energy of, and the chakras of who we are. So that's my five minutes for this little segment. And there'll be a whole other episode. But as I'm wrapping up, I want to say that the silence happens because of the dulling of the light of who we are. So we're born with these gems, these gifts of character, these uh, fruits of our spirit. Uh, I believe the virtues are those seeds of 
who we are. And when nurtured in environments that are healthy and the conditions are such that they're prime, we develop prime and healthy and uh, completely whole uh, developed. But the truth is our society is starting in a very unhealthy um, substrate. So our foundations are uh, pretty much built on violence and um, uh, egoic, egoic, um, uh, I, I don't know. How, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but this is what we're learning. And this is what I've been, uh, I feel like my journey all my life has been about is trying to make sense of that, trying to find the words, trying to find the, how experience interfaces with our biology, our neuro, uh, biology, this, um, neurochemical vision, how that affects our instinct, how that ties in with, uh, unity and how we treat one another and what that does also to our body of light, this, this vibration that I feel we carry. So there you have it. Okay. Uh, I'm moving on to number two. So, <laughs> in 2009, I started uh, a diet with Dr. Poon, who is based in Toronto area, the greater Toronto area, and he has a dietary system for metabolic uh, health, and you need to check boxes for our OHIP, our medical system, uh, to approve you uh, under certain health conditions. So I got in under um, chronic inflammation and um, uh, arthritic um, issues. So his whole system is about changing the body's metabolic rate so that it is optimally um, working to fuel you, us, me, at the, at the highest possible rate that it can, as opposed to taking in food that uh, slows down the metabolic rate and creates slug and sluggishness in your blood and uh, other parts of your body. Like the body's amazing. So what we fuel it with uh, is his whole gig. So he's watching your uh, fat, your water, and your um, body mass, I believe it was. So I... Over the course of one year, lost 70 pounds. And in one of my 
other episodes, I talked about how I couldn't lift up the amount of weight that I lost. So I went to pick up dog food and uh, the bag was 60 pounds and I could not pick it up. <laughs> it blew my mind. I couldn't pick it up. I lost that much weight. I had carried that much weight around that I, and I couldn't pick. Anyway, so yeah, so that was, that happened. And then also in one of the other episodes, I talked about how it created, losing that weight created this whole mental brain dynamic sort of thing that happened that was so interesting. Oh my goodness. So many things actually. One was my brain uh, couldn't keep up. So my body had lost all that weight, but my brain was still functioning in uh, um, the mode that I had always functioned in, which was uh, um, the way I dressed, the way I felt about shopping, because shopping was always an issue. I never liked going shopping because nothing ever fit me. And then I feel if I have to get something, I feel forced to buy something that isn't right. Uh, anyway, and then it, it creates all kinds of issues around, you know, just wanting to feel good about showing up in something nice, but not feeling nice. Anyway, so what ended up happening was I realized that once I had lost all the weight, I, it was as if my brain did not recognize myself when I looked in the mirror. Part of me did not recognize myself and struggled with how to dress myself big time. And then <clears throat> also there was this silence, which I talked about too. There's a silence in my brain that when it was, I finally realized there was something going on with me that I didn't really quite recognize, but it was because the silence, the thoughts that used to be there, taking up my mind, my mental capacity about weight and space distribution and all of that stuff uh, was gone. So I did talk about that in one of my other episodes, but what I loved about, and I just want to get back to Dr. Poon for a second, what I loved about that system was there was a, a, a check-in, constant check-in. The accountability was right there. Your um, The paper slip that they print out from the scale measures your water, your fat content, your body mass. So that's the proof of how you're doing. And um, if you can maintain the weight loss, uh, then it's, it's this incredible system, but you wouldn't believe how easy it is to go off track. So I was losing a 
about at the beginning because I was I'm so water like I just I I've I have chronic inflammation so in the beginning I um was losing 11 pounds a week which was way too fast and he told me to keep doing everything I was doing and just have accept one add one thing back in that I shouldn't be doing and so I added a half a glass of milk because I'm I don't really do dairy and I was just thinking you know about the calcium content or whatever but I and I wanted it for my coffee let's be real I could have coffee but that, to be pure Dr. Poon, which is just like the moon with a P, uh, to be pure, you had to uh, just, you know, be completely pure. There'd be no, there would be no cream. Anyway, I added half a glass of milk and that curbed my uh, weight loss. Like it completely cut my weight loss in half. So, uh, that's not including cheese. That's not including dairy. I was not eating wheat. So the poon is meat and vegetables that grow above the ground. No fruit because of the sugar, the high carbohydrate. Vegetables under the ground also have a higher carbohydrate. So when you're in phase one of Dr. Poon, you avoid all of that and you also avoid nightshade vegetables so if you don't know what that is go look that up you're probably eating them and consuming them especially if you have inflammation yeah so I'm gonna get back on that track I don't know if I'm gonna join Dr. Prune again because I already know uh, what I'm doing but if you have any of like go to his website Dr. Poon P-O-O-N like the moon um, he's in Canada. He's in Toronto, I believe. He may be all over the world now. I don't know. I haven't, like I said, it was 2010 when I was with him. So anyway, that's it for that. And, um, if you're uh, up for it, let me know and, uh, you can join. And also, um, yeah, yeah, come check it out. <laughs> okay, so we are jumping into the Virtues Project, which is number three on my list today. And I came across the Virtues Project in 2004 when my employer at the time sent me on a training. So it was a two-day training called Awaken the Virtues Within. And it was sponsored through my agency, uh, which was um, administered by the YMCA at the time here in my city and all, a whole bunch of other agencies, uh, staff were there. It was a big event, big two day event. And the 
master facilitator for the Virtues Project came in. Her name's Jane Hoy. She's my master facilitator. And I was introduced to this project. So, uh, prior to that, so in 2004, I was 50, uh, no, 44, maybe. I, I don't know the math. Um, but I was, you know, my my eldest was 10 at the time and my youngest would have been 8 so i was a um community facilitator at the time um in my portfolio was father involvement so i was very heavily involved in running community programs drop in um parent and child interaction programs and also doing home visiting for single dads and non-custodial dads who were uh, struggling. So we were a prevention program. We were prevention funding and uh, through the federal government, through uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada. So the Virtues Project came at a time in my life when I had a 10 and an 8-year-old and I had been um, eight years working within this agency doing my job, at that point running 11 programs a week. Yeah, you heard it right. 11 programs a week. That's a lot. <clears throat> and I was running them out of community spaces uh, throughout Durham region, which is this huge area that kind of encompasses a bunch of uh, towns and cities. So we, um, yeah, so our job was to go in and check with families and make sure that life uh, was functioning and <clears throat> because we were in intervention, sorry, because we were not an intervention program, we really just went in and, and um, uh, as home visitors became uh, familiar with the family rhythms and how the family functioned. That was really my job to assess how the family was functioning and then um, and then to help build a plan and help work with that family in order to implement and change habits and change behaviors so that the plan uh, changes the trajectory of their life. So in my agency, we were kind of the last straw before the Children's Aid Society came in and uh, took your children. And you could self-subscribe, you could call in and and hook yourself up or um you know, the health department, the hospital, your doctor, anybody could uh, refer you to us. And we were well known in the community. So, um, so it made sense. My boss understood the Virtues Project in the way that it made sense that she would want us to implement what I learned that day, which I'll talk about. And so... 
implementing that into our own programming, into what I'm doing in 11 programs a week. And that's the way the Virtues Project works. It's not... It's not a program that you take off the shelf and uh, follow. It's it's a it's a character um, framework that you utilize as you're living your life. So so as you're doing everything, that's why it works so well in schools because. Teachers don't have to do anything extra once they understand the five strategies and how to use them and how to uh, work the program. So let me tell you what the five strategies are. I'm going to list them first, and then I'll explain what each one is. The five strategies of the Virtues Project. Number one, speak the language of virtues. Number two, recognize teachable moments. Number three, set clear boundaries. Number four, honor the spirit. And number five, offer companioning. So let's go back up. Speak the language of virtues is all about understanding that language has the power to discourage and inspire and using virtues to acknowledge, guide, correct, and thank awakens the best within all of us. Number two, recognize teachable moments is about using the virtues in recognizing daily challenges and how our virtues help us um, live and how that how how those become lessons of character recognizing teachable moments is about the way we view our life and interpret how to be better next time. So it, it removes the whole shaming, blaming dynamic, and it turns it into a teaching model. It's a strengths-based teaching model. Number three is set clear boundaries. Virtues-based boundaries are um, rooted in respect and restorative justice, which create a climate of peace, cooperation, and safety in our homes, in our schools, and in our communities. It, boundaries protect our time, our energy, our choice of focus. And when we put our focus on our own boundaries for health, it empowers us, it strengthens us, and it helps to build uh, that light I talked about earlier. It, it, it helps to build that light and keep us clear 
And if we're using number two strategy, recognizing teachable moments as well, then that's also, it's like, it's like helping to polish the mirror of who we are. That's a whole other topic. Okay, let's get on to number four, which is one of my favorites, honor the spirit. So this is where we sustain the vision and purpose by integrating virtues into our lives through activities, through our surroundings, through celebrations. And we do that by using the arts and connecting with one another and what we do in it to connect with ourselves. It's all in honoring of the spirit. And when we use the word spirit, uh, we use it in the context that the spirit is that animated uh, force within us that helps to drive our hopes and dreams. It's the spirit of who we are. It's also the spirit of community. And it's the spirit of the system that... Um, integrates the virtues into and through and from our experience from birth to death honoring the spirit number five is offer companioning and companioning is about being deeply present and listening with compassionate curiosity which guides others to find clarity and to create their own solutions, which supports healing and growth because we help them to find their own truth. It's a counseling strategy that is part of the overall uh, integration of the five strategies. Now, using these strategies is what makes the Virtues Project unique. When you think about the words on the paper, the virtues, they belong to everyone. They come from every major religion in the world. They are present in every traditional faith. So they belong to all of us. What makes our project unique are these five strategies. And what these five strategies do is they help to build a lens of awareness, this whole new lens of awareness, and integrate the work in a conscious way, making us aware and accountable. And when we use the strategies and the virtues together, <clears throat> it becomes the culture. And when we can look at what's best about ourselves and call each other to account for 
being the best of who we are, then we have a framework in which we can grow kindness and compassion and we can witness what it looks like to face um, an impossible situation with tolerance. It gives the context so people understand what it is that they're seeing. And I'll talk more further on about how I am going to be using the five strategies soon, but I use them every day in my life when I'm setting up meetings, when I'm conversing with people, when I'm creating presentations. Uh, this is a framework that I begin with. I, I speak the language of virtues, which means understanding what experience looks like in life and what virtues it boils down to. So every single thing we do, every experience can be boiled down to a virtue. So once you see and understand and begin to view things that way, then it sets up the conditions for um, the integration. And once that integration happens, then you don't need to pull the, the book off the shelf anymore to look at these five strategies. You're already speaking the language. You're recognizing your teachable moments. You're, you're looking at impossible situations and, and, and searching for a virtue that you can use to develop and hold strong. And, um, and by doing that, you hone your own. It's, uh, it's, this, it's this constant uh, ebb and flow of growth and challenge. And if we become mindful of recognizing our teachable moments, setting our clear boundaries, honoring our spirit, then we are actually offering companioning to ourselves. So we are practicing all of these five strategies just by taking care of ourselves and then going into meetings, for instance, we practice these five strategies by recognizing staff and what they're doing and, and speaking exactly to their um, virtue rather than their act, their behavior or their action. Um, we are able to see clearly um, by the second strategy, recognizing teachable moments, what virtue we need to call into play, or which virtue is shining right now, which one is here showing me that um, that it's like a confirmation that I understand or am and working well with this virtue. Uh, so that moves into setting the boundaries when we're into situations where we have to explore and go through the process. Setting clear boundaries starts the process and ends the process. So what is that going to look like if somebody phones you and you know they're a talker and you've only got five minutes before you have to head out the door and you still have a 
bunch of stuff you got to do. You, you honor your spirit. You pick up the phone. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you let it ring through to the answering machine. And that's a way to honor your spirit. And you set those clear boundaries for yourself. So you don't get hung up in the conversation anyway. Even though you mean kindness, you know, kindly to pick up the phone and say, I'm sorry, I can't talk right now. I'll call you back later. Sometimes people still catch you in things and you end up on the phone anyway. Because they don't recognize your boundaries and you're not clear enough. So setting clear boundaries is about empowering yourself to, uh, for self-care. It's a self-care mechanism. And then, yeah, so come to one of the workshops and, uh, there's all kinds of online workshops happening now, and uh, I'm offering workshops every now and then. I'd love to see you there. Uh, we, you can learn all about it and stay for the three-day as well and become a facilitator if this work uh, interests you. That's what's happened to me that day in 2004 at the YMCA in that two-day workshop, it changed my life. I went back to work and gave my notice. I gave my six months notice. I didn't just drop my luggage and fly. <clears throat> I gave six months notice. I transitioned out of my community work and I went solo and became uh, immersed in the Virtues Project. That's a whole other story. I joined the board, helped them develop a nonprofit organization, became a master facilitator in 2010. And um, it was 2006, but it took me four years to say yes. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other story. Right around 2010, my husband started having difficulties uh, eating and swallowing, and it uh, wasn't a dangerous thing. But he went and, you know, he wasn't. It wasn't terribly. Uh, he was just coughing and just there was something. Anyway, so he, um, after a little bit of different kinds of um, testing, they discovered that he had esophageal cancer. So at uh, uh, 50, almost 50, he um, was a smoker and a drinker at that time. And he was the youngest person that the surgeon had ever seen with this uh, condition. Usually it's an elderly, uh, more elderly condition. Uh, we found this amazing, amazing surgeon uh, out of the, out of Toronto. So that's um, Carmen 
I believe his name was Carmen. I'll, I'll get his name. If anybody's interested, if anybody needs a, a thoracic surgeon, um, he's amazing. Uh, so anyway, so, um, two weeks after we got the diagnosis, my husband was in surgery. We understood the cancer. We understood esophageal cancer. We understood the surgery, what was going to happen, all, you know, all of that. It, it, uh, it was it was this really quick, like, Carmen was really good. Like, he, he was amazing in just holding space and uh, helping us understand what was going on. But what we didn't uh, prepare for, what nobody really prepared us for, was the after-surgery care and the dynamic of how esophageal cancer and an esophagectomy was going to affect my husband's life and and our lives talk about the conditions of your environment changing uh, my husband was on a feeding tube for a year after the surgery so not able to have food at all. So our whole dinner food dynamic in our home changed. Um, what we cooked changed because my husband was no longer eating and, you know, his favorite foods weren't necessarily cooked. And it, it the way I cooked foods changed and it was... I had already lost a bunch of weight because it was 2010 at that point. I had already lost a bunch of weight. And um, so health-wise, I, I was at the prime of my life while he was uh, not. And mentally, I was in this really good place. I had been working with the Virtues Project for six years and so I was, I completely integrated the five strategies into the way I process. And that's what it is. It's processing. But the way I process what's going on in my life. And so uh, it was helping me handle with grace this cancer journey. I was not worried. I was in at this state of trust. It was absolutely beautiful. It was, um, uh, I, I, I can barely describe it except to say it was a state of grace. It was like Zen. Um, yes, we were experiencing it. I wasn't numbing out. I wasn't numb about it. I was completely in the moment, but I was okay. I wasn't in fear. I was in trust. Trust the process has been my motto my practically whole life. So it's that, um, ability to be able to do that and and I I believe because I was doing uh I had started 
with a small group of women um, this call called How Are You Really? And it well, we were meeting every other week. And that started in 2010. So it was the perfect time to uh, help me. Like, seriously, it was like every other week I joined this circle of women through uh, we started with um, freeconferencecall.com and then uh, ended up with uh, Zoom. So we still Zoom. We still meet every other week. We have met every other week for the last, while well, we're on our 12th year, 11th year. So um, anyway, they... Ha- mirror back. So how are you really works where you pick a virtues card, you um, read it as a group, or you pick one for yourself, depending on how much time we have. And then you just share, you get your five or eight or 10, 15 minutes, depending again on how many people are there. And we just share uh, what's going on in our life through the lens of that virtue? What triggers? What does that reading that card? What does it trigger you to think about? What what does it bring up in your consciousness? What what does it what flares up for you? And that's what you talk about. And then um, your listeners only mirror back to you the virtues they see. So. Uh, I was talking about how I was handling and what was going on with Neil's cancer journey. And they were mirroring back to me my strength and my clarity and my trust and my ability to um, focus on gratitude and how compassion was showing up for me in my life and grace and how riding the waves of my trauma which may have taken others into trauma was carried in a different way and so that's you know that's for me the the real gift that's my teachable moment out of Neil's whole cancer journey is that I was able to uh, trust the process go through the experience anyway we are we are experiencing life anyway so what is the mindset i'm going to adopt take on build for myself and in doing that it creates my so you know i'm able to set really clear boundaries around um, what I, what I choose in my life. So it, it helped me to see clearly, um, my grandmother, yeah, this is what it is. My grandmother used to say this poem in it. And so my whole, my teachable moment around the cancer experience is summarized in my grandmother's poem. And it's not hers, but she used to say it. And it's, worry is like a rocking chair. 
It keeps you busy, but gets you nowhere. gets you nowhere and life is going to happen anyway so we either worry we either we either go in a rocking chair or we actually get on the horse like that's kind of how I picture it because I grew up with horses so um it's like you can sit in that rocking chair and worry or you can get on your horse and ride life is happening anyway and so we have a choice and it doesn't bypass. It doesn't mean that we aren't thinking about our issues. It means that we're not sitting in that rocking chair worrying and harboring and bringing onto ourselves the chemistry, the conditions of the chemistry. Instead, we stay in the light. We keep the vibration high. We don't stay in that rocking chair and we get on the horse every day and we ride and we see what's next and we trust the process and we, we have faith in ourselves to grow and change and develop and shine. And that's the gift that my circle, my how are you really circle gave to me was I, I was able to see myself through their lens. And that's an, just an amazing gift. So if you're interested in joining a how are you really circle, come to my website and check it out. Um, what it's all about. I want to, I want to set them up and they'll be starting to run in 2022. Um, yeah, I'd love to see you there. And by the way, my husband is doing well. He's more than 10 years now, cancer free. As I said, uh, Dr. Carmen Simone, that's his name. Uh, he did an amazing job and, um, uh, gave my husband a clean bill of health just uh, this year so, again so it's it's uh, it's good and there's been lots of challenges and I'm going to save that for another podcast lots of challenges in Neil's cancer journey so this really is part one of that piece of the podcast <laughs> but yeah, we'll be back for more about that. You know, really quickly, being authentic and led by our soul is about trusting that process. That's it. It's listening to the virtue of wisdom within Trusting, which is also a virtue, trust, being trustworthy, and living within the integrity of who we are as an individual. When we talk about peace beginning with me, that's what it's all about. It's being authentic, 
and being in integrity to something. And I believe if we all understood the Virtues Project and these five strategies, we can be authentic and be led by our soul. When I took the Virtues Project training in 2004, uh, that's what I, that's what was mirrored back to me. I had been studying holistic and complementary therapy since I was 19. So for, I was 44, something 40, I was 40 when I discovered the Virtues Project in my 40s. So I had been 20 years already studying energy medicine, basically doing energy medicine. I had a practice, a small practice. And um, so when I, when I learned about the Virtues Project, everything made sense. Like suddenly I understood how uh, life experience can interface with uh, biology and it just everything everything started to make sense about the soul and how we can be soul conscious and soul deficient at the same time and you know all this other stuff so so being led by our soul is all about that it's all about trusting that we have a divine uh, uh, network about us that we don't perceive or conceptualize even at this point. We don't really even know it's there. Um, but it it's part of who we are and it's part of our instinct. It's part of our awareness. I believe it interfaces with virtues and that interfaces like like chemistry in our body, just like hormones, just like when experience, like, um, you know, when a tiger runs out of the forest at us and we go into fight and flight and it triggers our body hormones to release chemistry and fight and flight, you know, all that stuff happens, um, instantaneously through systems that we now understand, but, you know, a thousand years ago, we had no idea about. So now we have all this awareness of the neurochemistry and how that happens. So I believe that one day, once we have appropriate research, um, we will be understanding that virtues play a huge role and that they are, uh, I compare them to hormones. They are like hormones because they they create a cascading effect in the body that can be felt. It often brings people to tears. Um, there's there's a visceral attachment to uh, using the language and developing the practice and and being companioned. And that's how it ties in with healing. I mean, just the most amazing healing circles happen when you're using those five strategies. Anyway, being authentic and led by our soul is, it's, that's, that's what it is. It's the synergy of body, mind, and spirit. Conscious. 
me to that skipping stone visual that I talked about in one of the other episodes and I, I still haven't quite uh, come back to it to really give it much more thought except that every time we have an experience in our life it hits the surface of our water like it it's like a stone hitting the surface it causes its own ripple but but the source doesn't stop there. It keeps traveling and it hits again and it, there's another ripple. And then it keeps traveling and hits again and there's another ripple. So the skipping stone visual aid was about how the neurochemical vision um, happens. Um where if our body, like if our experience is the surface of the water, then the hit, that sorry, the source is the stone, and the ripple is the effect that it has on us or our community. And um, so I'm still working on that. That's my whole point. So <laughs> this is a short one. Um, the skipping stone visual aid is still in development and I, it's kind of losing, losing its, um, strength, but it's still there and I'm still trying to figure out how it, like why it's there. So I'm going to leave it at that. So. Everything ties in with family. It's the very beginning. It's the source. It's the substrate that our little seed of life is planted in. And the dynamics of our family create the dance of our life. And, and that's the truth. The experience, the way we're handled, the way we're cared for, the, um, the way we're spoken to, all of that becomes our internal uh, climate, our internal environment. And in some cases, becomes how we treat ourselves. I remember growing up in homes. Sorry, I remember my friends' homes. Some of them uh, were so volatile and, in some ways, violent. I don't know what went on behind closed doors, but I remember uh, I had one friend in particular that was so repressed that um, she almost completely shut down in front of her parents, especially her father. It just completely changed, and I never understood it. It 
just was the way it was and so I modeled after her so I just did the same thing I shut down too in front of her parents we used to eat dinner with her parents when I went and spent time on the weekends and then when we were away from the dinner table uh away from the parents everything was different like she was a completely different person so interesting and this episode, this, this section of the episode is deadbeat dads, but it's not, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to dump on dads. Uh, I just want to dump on my own dad because he was a deadbeat dad. And I just want to talk about my own experience um, because he didn't know that he was a deadbeat dad. Um, or maybe he didn't want to admit it, or maybe, you know, for sure that term didn't even exist when he was parenting me. I'll, I'll be 60 this year. He only parented me for two years, and I doubt he parented me at all. Let's be real. He was full on into a love affair with my mother's best friend while he was pregnant with me. Well, she, sorry, while she was pregnant with me. And, uh, and he left when I was two. So uh, for my whole gestation period and for my first two years, um, my mother was being cheated on. My dad was cheating and carrying on. Uh, they would meet every Friday night and play cards, these two couples, my parents and and uh, her best friend and, and her husband. And my dad and, and the best friend were carrying on the whole time uh and then he left to go be with her and I was two and my mom had four other kids sorry three other kids four of us all together um single mom four kids between the ages of 12 and two so she had a my brother was 12 my eldest and uh, and then my next eldest was uh i think 8 at the time 7 or 8 and he was a handful like oh my god he was he was a handful talk about ADHD out of control completely and then my dad laughed and like that just he he, he went sideways completely got lost for a few years we talk about that I have another podcast with my siblings called Three Siblings. It's kind of fun. It's just one season. Um, the dynamics of our family were such that, um, and I don't know if it started this way or if it was just after my dad left, because, of course, I don't remember much before the age of two, but I, I know through my understanding of trauma and uh, neurobiology and, and how mental health works that um, I, I, I was deprived of some really important things when I was a baby. Like, um, you know, my, my dad left when I was two and broke my mom's heart. 
my mom found out that he was cheating on her because of our party line. So back in those days, uh, in our neighborhood, we shared a phone line and you knew it was your number ringing through by the way the ring tone came in. Everybody had a different ring tone and, uh, but it didn't stop anybody picking up the receiver at their end and listening. <laughs> Talk about privacy uh, issues, right? We've come a long way. Um, but that's how my mom found out. Somebody in our neighborhood um, picked up the phone and was listening to my dad carrying on with uh, his, my, his girlfriend, my mom's best friend. So then rumor came through this, the rumor mill and uh, eventually my mom found out about it and kicked my dad out and that's what happened when I was two so then my mom was heartbroken probably for the rest of her life if you've ever dealt with betrayal like having somebody break your heart like I honestly don't know how you get over it um but deadbeat dad to me is this dude that really only did damage he was so self-absorbed he wasn't thinking about us kids he was only thinking of himself he was never on time that was another thing he was never on time and do you know what that did to me it set up this sense that um my time wasn't as important as his so that set up this um, condition that uh, puts it, it, it enables me to put everybody else first. My time is not as important. So it sets up this uh, almost like a pattern in me. Uh, of this codependent kind of behavior where I'm putting other people's needs first and always trying to please because I never was able to please. I have this piece of writing I did years and years and years ago where I talk about trying to please the unpleasable man and that's what it was like with my dad. Nothing was ever right or good enough. And he would listen. He would be sweet about it. He would, um, you know, it, it wasn't always callous and, and vicious. But if he was drinking, it was vicious and cold and quite calculated. He, he was, he was not, he was very toxic. He was not a healthy mental health. He was not good for children he shouldn't have been around kids he was a sexual predator we found out later um interfered with children he was never charged he was uh, accused and he completely gaslit his uh wife at that time who was my mother's best friend like the same woman so of course my mother never spoke to her again but at the end of their relationship, he completely gaslit her and he had been interfering with her children and um, when she 
brought it to the family's attention and brought it to the authorities, he uh, completely ruined her reputation. And he made her look crazy and people did not take what she said seriously at all. And he got away with it. So uh, I found out that years later when I went and found her in our community. Uh, she happened to be the executive director of the health center uh, where I had uh, joined up my family to have our, and we had our doctor there. So I had been a member for a couple of years, two, three years before I saw her. And when I saw her, uh, I was just like rooted in kerfuffle. I didn't know what to do with myself, but it triggered in me this desire to speak to her and find out what her truth was so that I could understand my own instinct to want to stay away from him because I'm one of those women who uh, I chose when I was 19 to not engage with my dad. So we had a very estranged relationship after that and he gaslit me too. He blamed me and uh, and I actually owned that blame for a really long time. But no more, my friends. No more. So moving on, we are at number eight. And uh, this is Standing Rock which is such an interesting topic and I talked about it in one of the other episodes where I came across Standing Rock because of a vision that I had um, in meditation and I um, when the like the vision happened it's it would I explained it all I'll, I'll put the episode number in uh, I sorry I don't have it on me right now but um, but I explained explained it earlier in one of the other episodes, so I, I'm not going to explain it again, except to say I flew down from the universe and and with a, a vortex of energy uh, flew along parallel with the earth until I came to uh, a, a place called Cross Lake, which is in um, Alberta, and um, with this energy vortex came, we, we were in the ground, we came up through the center of this town and um, created this upwards directed uh, whirlwind, whirlwind um, tornado coming smallest end at the earth and going wider and wider up into the heavens so uh, people were bringing their baggage and throwing their stuff into this um, tornado and it was taking it up clearing it from the people and the people were bringing their own baggage but then eventually they started bringing baggage on behalf of humanity and this all happened like it's taking me way longer to, to explain it and I knew that on the right there was a forest a clearing meadow area where women and children and other elders were 
creating art and telling stories. And over on the left in the forest, the shamans were doing ceremony and journeying on behalf of humanity. And they were not stopping. No one was stopping. It was this shamanathon was what was in my head. Shamanathon. They weren't stopping until the vortex was gone. And it was almost like this thing opened up in the earth in the center of this town. So let me explain quickly. Cross Lake is, so I found out later, uh, uh, influenced by an epidemic of suicide. And there are people there that are taking their lives at like sometimes two, three a day. And certainly every week for a period of time, I, I haven't kept up on it since before 2016. But um, it it's absolutely horrible what's happening up there. And so I could not stop weeping for weeks. I weeped for weeks. And then I went on to a group I had connected with in, on Facebook uh, called um, Lightworkers of the World. And I think I've been there for a few years. Um, you know, they have 400,000 members at that time. And one person, so I wrote this post and I added a picture and basically said, I had this vision a few months ago. I cannot stop weeping. I didn't explain the vision. I just said, it's, it's affecting me in such a way I can't stop weeping. I don't know what to do about it. Can somebody please help me? And one person reached out, and her name was Christine. And Christine uh, was this amazing woman who lived in uh, Tahoe <clears throat> in Arizona and or Mexico somewhere. I Sorry. And... Uh, we talked on the phone and what she helped me to do was to trust the process, to just feel my feelings, to uh, watch life unfold and to develop patience for my own path. So that was number one. And then a few months, so in our, in our conversation, because we just had that one conversation about the vision, and uh, in, our, in that conversation, she basically invited me um, uh, to patience and asked me if I wanted to um, join a healing circle. Uh, and I said yes. So she joined me to two other Facebook groups. One is a healing circle and one is more of an inner circle. So the healing circle, the public can send prayers into. And the inner circle is the core group of people who do the praying. 
So, um, so, so they hooked me up to those two groups and I can't pronounce the name of it. It's their indigenous, um, it's, it's an indigenous group of people. It's, it's, uh, one name healing circle and I can't anyway. So uh, I don't know if it's, uh, open to the public. I, Christine gave me the invitation and I accepted. She said to me at that time, because we shared, uh, what we both did and we had a lot of cross, uh, interests, uh, community development being one of them, healing, alternative medicine being another, uh, light working and, um, running programs in our community and youth development, all of that was, you know, we had that all in common. And so she, uh, learned that I am quite technically savvy. I had been a virtual secretary since 2005 and I had been working internationally online, uh, bringing, uh, meetings together ever since then, like for 10 years by the time I got to Standing Rock. Anyway, so she, uh, was moderator for Jim, uh, who, who owns the Standing Rock Pipeline, um, advocacy group, which was the first Facebook group for the camp at Standing Rock. So she said to me, I'm trying to put this thing together for this Facebook group I'm moderating, do you think you could help me? And I'm going to see if Jim can bring you online and then you can have access to the files and you can help me to do, you know, technically to pull together what it is that I want to do. And I'm like, absolutely, that's easy. I can totally do that. So it took a, a month or so, a couple months maybe. And finally she convinced Jim into letting me in and he gave, he assigned me in as a moderator. Maybe she did. I don't know. Somebody did. I got approved and she did. The day she did that, I'm not kidding. She died. We didn't find out until, uh, like the next day, or maybe I found out because I was on her friends list. And when her husband made a post, I was flagged. I think that's what happened. The notification came through and I discovered, and then I asked permission to use her photo. And then I submitted the message to, um, the group anyway. Oh, that was my first day. And then she died. So then I was like, I'm not really even sure what I'm doing here. I didn't know what Standing Rock was. I didn't know. Um, I, you know, I follow my own issues with the pipeline and with what goes on up here in Canada and what was happening at Oka. And years before I went and listened to, um, you know, that talk anyway, um, so what I learned was that it evolved into uh, that I was moderating for the first Facebook group for Standing Rock for the camp. And when the night um, of the Backwater Bridge, you know, we just found out, God rest his soul, 
Myron Dewey passed away um, from Standing Rock. He was the drone operator that went live, that just kept going live. He was the drone operator that kept bringing drones in. Um, the uh, authorities were shooting drones down and taking drones down, and Myron was just uh, bringing drones in and keeping the footage uh rolling because otherwise the public would never have known what happened there at Standing Rock. So the whole point I'm, you know, bringing up at this point is not what was happening at Standing Rock as much as how I got involved and trusting the process. I stayed with him for nine months and worked um, some days 12 hours a day, seven days a week for some weeks, for nine months, um, moderating the fastest growing Facebook page I have ever, I think I've seen. I mean, I don't have the stats, but we were vetting a thousand new members a day. And that was part of our job on top of staying on the conversations within each post, making sure that, um, people weren't, uh, you know, uh, bullying and, and fighting. And there was all kinds of infiltrators and trolls and it was, it got really nasty for a little while. And we had to, um, you know, kick lots of people out daily. Like we were constantly kicking people out, um, that, that were trolls <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So that's my experience and how I got involved in Standing Rock. And I was coming off of a 30-year media fast. So this is number nine, media fast. I'd been media fasting for 30 years, which means I was not picking up newspapers. I did not turn on the radio. I didn't listen to news. If I did have the radio on in a vehicle or in my home, I went for music. If news came on, I'd change the channel. I didn't, I don't do celebrity following or, you know, flashlighting or I don't do any of that. Um, and I certainly don't, uh, indulge, at least I didn't until 9-11. 9-11 was my first, um, kind of entry and I spent probably 48 or 72 hours glued to the news channel. So I, I just went from, you know, 30 years of nothing to 72 hours of complete consummation. And then when Standing Rock was going down in 2016, I, um, I was completely immersed in everything media, including the silence and, um, my outrage at the media silence and the, 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 um, political silence. Like it was absolutely disgusting how after hundreds of years of annihilating a culture, trying to annihilate a culture of people, they still in this day and age can deny so blatantly deny the rights of the people like the authorities were 
clearly on the side of the pipeline. They were not neutral. Authorities working, you know, <laughs> like security officers working for the pipeline, um, contracted by the pipeline. This is paying their bills. Of course they're going to go to do their work. Of course they're going to follow what their employer is telling them to do. Um, but the devastating effects that that had on the people is the conditions of what happened at Standing Rock is what, you know, the whole point of making things right. Like, we cannot make things right here in Canada or anywhere else in the world if we are working from the substrate and the foundations and the structure of violence and bullying and um, toxic behavior, quid pro quo. We can't, um, you know, it's just, we can't make things right until we set up the conditions for right. And, and that, what does that look like? That looks like accountability. That looks like a framework where we understand a language and we understand uh, exactly what the behaviors of uh, good people look like and what the behaviors of bad behavior looks like. So good behavior and bad behavior rather than good people. So let me just make that distinction. Um, so it's good people, it's good behavior and bad behavior. And people primarily in general, you know, people are people. So that brings me to the end of my list. You know, I talked about media fasting and Standing Rock. I talked about Canada and making things right and the outrage and accountability. And tomorrow is Truth and Reconciliation. And I am traveling the day after that to British Columbia working with uh, an agency who has secured uh, some prevention funding to uh, do youth leadership work and community development work and we're going in for nine days uh, with the Virtues Project and we are going to leave them with a mentoring program so that their facilitators, their newly certified facilitators um, can learn and grow and um, maintain the uh, momentum of what they're learning in a really sustainable way. So I am super excited and I just want to say all in all these 11 topics that I've talked about, 12 including 9-11, um, all are around the idea of, you know, who I am and why I feel it's important to speak our truth, come out of the cocoon of silence that we might have um, created for ourselves or society has, you know, put conditions on us, but to come out of that cocoon of silence and um, follow our dreams and follow our um, visions and our soul's uh, instincts and do what's right.
so that we can turn life around for our kids and uh, create sustainability in terms of social health and wellness. And ultimately, that's going to lead us to peace, which is the whole point of this Courageous Conversations podcast is, um, you know, wrapping up how we are going to come together. So that's it for this season. I'll be back um, probably in the new year. And uh, I'd love to hear from you in the meantime. I may be back sooner. Um, I'm just going to go with grace and see what happens uh, while I spend nine days in British Columbia, beautiful British Columbia. I can't wait for that. I think it's going to change. I I just have this sense that it's going to change a lot of things. So um, I've been on this quest a long time and I have been looking for the calling for my highest calling and I've been asking to be of service. And so here I go. I'm flying out the day after tomorrow and I'm going to begin something that I hope will have that uh, skipping stone ripple effect for generations to come. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And I look forward to what's next and yet to come. Be well and take care.